Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24. I had so many people this morning ask me how our trip was to Guatemala. Our team landed safely yesterday afternoon in Atlanta after just an incredible week of ministry. I'm going to talk some about that in my, in my sermon this morning, but it's always a challenge for me coming back because you go and, and you see uh, such incredible need. If you've ever been overseas, and especially if you've done some mission work, and, and the place we go in Guatemala is very remote, and that's kind of uh, by design. We land in Guatemala City, drive about four hours to the west, have about another hour and a half drive kind of deep into the jungle, and we minister in an area that's very inaccessible, very difficult to come to. Uh, those people don't have a whole lot of uh, interaction with the outside world. Many of them don't. So we go and do great ministry. But I always come home with, with just uh, this, this nagging question in my heart, uh, kind of this nagging um, uh, problem that I can't quite resolve. I get to go home, right? I, I go and I see how these people live, uh, bamboo walls, Tin roof, dirt floor. I commented to Bobby Lumpkin, who was with us on our trip, as we were standing in one of the huts during the week doing evangelism and sharing Christ and praying for these people. I told Bobby, this would have been a really cool fort when I was 12. Like me and my buddies would go out in the woods and we'd pull down some tree limbs like some, so many of you used to do. We'd build some makeshift little walls. We'd find a, a couple of old pieces of board, maybe some plywood or some tin, make a makeshift little roof. Uh, dirt floor, and that would have been a really cool fort for us when I was 12. These people live their lives there, and I'm always amazed uh, at how they're so happy and they have so much joy, but I'm reminded every time we leave that I get to come home, right? And I sleep in my bed with air conditioning and a toilet that works inside my house and water that I can drink and food in my pantry, and they don't, and I, I don't ever quite understand. It always bothers me. You know, why are they there and I'm here? And it kind of becomes a, an ongoing discussion with my family. And we always settle, we always settle out in this place. We always settle out after hours sometimes of discussion. Uh, you know, God's grace just allowed us to be born in America and he blessed us. And, and you know, and I've said this a dozen times before, but like you won the lottery when you were born in America. You should know that about yourself. Like if you're in the bottom of the bottom in America, you're still like in the top 90% in the world. So you won the lottery just by being, but why am I born here, Lord? Like why did you put me here and you put this little kid Pablo that I'm going to talk about, why did you put him there? Like why am I here and why is he there? And I, I kind of end up with this, with this understanding that God has given me this grace and giving me these blessings, blessings, not so I can hoard them up and just amass more and more stuff to bring comfort and pleasure to my own life. Instead, I need to figure out how to use what God has given me for the sake of the gospel, wherever that may be. Right? To whom much is given, much is expected. And so you're already, you again should know this, you're already in the upper crust of to whom much has been given. That's you. You don't have to look very far to figure out who God's talking to. <laughs> so the question always becomes... When we come home, what do we do with it now? Like, what do I do with what the Lord has given me and all the ways in which he's blessed us? And, and we're continuing our study in Acts this morning, but I, but I love where we are in Acts this morning because we're going we're gonna to come to this place where a man that I'm going to introduce you to in just a minute kind of has some struggles and some problems 
and some pitfalls. And there's some things that he basically failed to do that he could have done. And I just think, you know, and, and the problems that he had and, and the, the pitfalls that he encountered, I think they serve for us as warnings in our current world. Because there's certain things the Lord calls us to do, and there, there are blessings that he's given us, and there's so much grace in our lives that we're very unaware of. And he calls us to this path, and he calls us to live this certain way. But if we're not careful, there are pitfalls, and there are holes, and there are things that we kind of fall into that get us off track to do the things of the Lord. And so I just want to challenge you this morning with this text out of Acts 24. I want, I want to challenge you with not getting stuck in this rut not falling into these pit holes because God has called us to something incredible in Acts. We've seen that for the last many months. right? It's not just about being a fledgling little group of people that are afraid to walk out of the upper room. It's about receiving the power of the Holy Spirit, walking triumphantly out into the world with the truth of the gospel, making a difference to all those that will hear. That's who we should be. Yet we find ourselves oftentimes kind of secluded and afraid and in our little upper rooms, never actually living out the calling of acts in our lives. But what we see when we study this book is that God, and we use this as our title, God, God took a bunch of ordinary people and did extraordinary things through them. I worry too many of us are still just ordinary. It's not because of him, it's because of us. And so I want to think this morning about the pitfalls and the problems and how we should live our lives differently than the world is. So let me just catch you up to speed a little bit on where we are in Acts. Then we're going to jump right into kind of the last half of Acts chapter 24. Paul, at this point in our study, we've looked at Paul for the last many, many weeks, his missionary journeys, all that he's done to reach people for Christ. Paul, at this point, has been arrested uh, there's been a plot actually to kill Paul. He's been transferred to Caesarea. He's meeting now before the governor of the area, the Roman governor, Felix. Now in this trial, we'll call it a trial, it's kind of trumped up charges, but in this trial, the Jewish people, the head priests, they come and they wage accusations against Paul. He's stirring up all these problems. He's uh, doing bad things in the temple. He's lying. They've made all these things up, of course. Paul, in kind of the middle portion of Acts 24, gives his defense. And he says, listen, all I'm doing is sharing the gospel. Nobody's accused me of wrongdoing in other cities. These guys are making this up. I've done nothing wrong. I should be still allowed to preach the gospel. And then beginning in verse 22, this is where I want to pick it up, because Felix, who is the Roman governor, is going to enter the picture. He's going to begin to talk. I want you to notice who he is, kind of what he says, but more importantly, we're going to walk through some very clear excuses that he makes, pitfalls in our lives, warnings that we need to avoid. So Acts chapter 24, beginning in verse 22, I think we have it on the screen. <clears throat> Acts 24, 22. Paul has just finished making his defense, <clears throat> and we read in verse 22. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, and remember the way are Christians, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off saying, when I see us, the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he, this is Paul, should be kept in custody but have some liberty and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. By the way, just a side note, that's not uncommon back then for these prisoners to be kept in a jail or even under house arrest. Oftentimes they would be chained or kind of handcuffed to a soldier, but they were still allowed to meet friends, to entertain guests, to kind of live their life as normally as possible within house arrest. Verse 24, after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, 
And he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Jesus Christ. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. And then verse 26, At the time, at the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he went for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Now, I want to give you three areas of warning, kind of three pitfalls from the life of Felix that we as blessed individuals, that we as people that have been called to do much for the sake of the kingdom, don't need to fall into. Here's the first pitfall, and I want to tell you right off the bat, this is kind of my biggest fear as a pastor. This is something that I really struggle with, something that concerns me about the modern church, especially in America. Truth number one, put it on the screen. Knowledge of Christianity is not enough to save you. Knowledge of Christianity is not enough to save you. Now, I want to walk through that a little bit. I want you to understand kind of where this is coming from. Felix is a Roman governor at this point. And according to Roman historians, he was kind of a harsh ruler. Very powerful, could kind of do what he wanted to do. One Roman historian described Felix like this. He ruled with a mixture of cruelty, lust, and flattery. He thought himself at liberty to commit every sort of crime with impunity. So it's not uncommon in those days for a leader of the Roman Empire to have great power, to be self-centered, to make decisions that were best for him, to do things that basically made him happy. That was not uncommon. But Felix is a little bit different, and I want you to notice how. Pull up verse 22 for me. I want you to notice how Felix is different. Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way. Now, the way is Christianity. So what we see about this Roman leader who was a harsh, powerful leader, which is not uncommon, is that he was different in one way. He had a rather accurate knowledge of the way. He understood Christianity. Now, scholars debate where that knowledge came from. The Bible doesn't tell us. It could have been from his wife, who was a Jew. could have been from him just paying attention to his surroundings. could have been he had some friends that were Christian. The Bible doesn't really tell us. But we know he had a rather accurate knowledge of the way. In other words, he understood the beliefs of Christianity. He understood their customs. He knew who Jesus was. He would have known that Jesus had died and that the, the way or the Christians claimed that three days later he rose again. Felix would have known all of these things, but I want you to hear something. This is important. This is a pitfall that I fear far too many people have fallen into. Here it is. Being interested and even having a knowledge of Christianity is not enough to save you. It's the difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. Right, I, I could tell you all about my family. I could tell you their names, their birthdays. I could talk about all sorts of facts and give you information about my family. You could know a lot about my family, never having actually met my family. It's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. I, I have this fear that there are far too many people in the American church that have an accurate knowledge of the way they know all about Jesus, they just don't really know Jesus. Amen. They've never really given their heart to him. They can tell you where he lived and how he acted and he went and died on the cross. They can explain those things, but they don't in fact know 
Christ. Now we go to Guatemala, and of course I just got back, so this is fresh on my mind and, and, and something that I am, am very aware of. And when we go do uh, pretty incredible ministry down there with our local partners. By the way, Megan and Joe Fry are doing a, a fantastic job just knocking it out down there, man. They're doing great ministry. They've made connections and are training and teaching and know the people. And it's what a blessing to serve with them. Continue to pray for them. God's doing great things in their midst and in their heart. And they've got some decisions to make about ministry specifically. And as you remember, Megan and Joe, pray for them, if you would, please, what God's doing in their lives. We got to meet with Pastor Raphael again, San Juan Moca. Many of you have been to that area. But if you've never been, just a quick synopsis so you kind of understand what this is like. And I'm, I'm going to kind of lead lead you to a point I want you to understand related to this truth right here. But we go into this really remote village, way, way away from kind of civilization, uh, not a lot of contact with the outside world. And this particular trip, we did three main things. Um, we basically did teaching in the public school, which, by the way, they just let us go into the public school and talk about Jesus. Isn't that amazing? We don't have to act like we're doing anything. We don't even have to try to hide it. Like, we don't have to call it a moral teaching. We just literally teach them. I taught Bible stories. So I'd stand up, and our team, we had several different teams. We had four different teams, taught eight different classes, rotated through. We would get up, do a little bit of English and Spanish with them. I know enough Spanish to be dangerous. And so I'd do a little Spanish, teach them some English, the alphabet, some phrases, words, which was just a lot of fun for them to learn English. Then we'd just go right into a Bible story. We'd always talk about how the Lord worked and how Christ worked. We'd just teach these kids about Christ. We did a medical clinic, saw I think almost 300 people in four days, which is pretty incredible. And then every afternoon, we would do evangelism. And I love evangelism because we kind of get in these teams and just walk through the jungle. And when I say we walk through the jungle, we just walk through the jungle. We're just following little paths up steep inclines and through rivers. And we're just sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with these people. But it amazed me this particular time because they always take us to places either someone needs healing or they want to hear the gospel or we have this opportunity to share. It amazed me this time, first of all, all the people that were sick that we had a chance to talk to, but all the people this particular time that were on their deathbed. Now, their deathbed is different than ours. They're not in hospice or in the hospital or receiving medication. Typically, they're in a little maybe 10 by 10 foot hut, uh, incredibly hot under a tin roof that just radiates heat. Uh, we met a woman whose kidneys had failed. She can't afford dialysis. It's like... She may as well fly to the moon. It would be that easy for her to get dialysis. It's just not gonna, she doesn't have the money, doesn't have the ability. She's going to die in that hammock probably in the next week or two. We met a man who's been sick for many, many months, had not eaten now for 14 days, very lethargic, couldn't talk. We had all these opportunities just to stand around these family members that are lying on their deathbed. Within a matter of days or weeks, they'll probably be dead. No real hope outside of Christ. And we get this, just, this moment in time now to share the gospel with these people. And I'm always amazed because as we're standing there in the room, the, the person that's old and dying maybe can't hear us, doesn't understand, they're kind of out of it, but the family members do. And so I always see it as an opportunity to share Christ with sister, right, or with daughter or with grandson because they're all in the room anyway being with this loved one. And we always kind of start the conversation, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Do you go to church? Do you know anything about Christianity? And they all typically say, yes, we go to church. Uh, maybe we're Catholic, we've been in church our whole lives, great, we kind of play the dumb American. Well, tell me more about that. Uh, what, what, and I kind of use the old faith question. Tell me what it means for a person to be a Christian, or how do you think you're going to one day go to heaven? That's the question we ask. Every person that I met with, every person's response was either, I have no idea how I'm going to go to heaven, or basically I'm going to work and do the best I can. 
works-based answer. Now, these people have an accurate knowledge of Jesus. You understand that? They know who he is. They know about his sacrifice. They know about the cross. Many of them wear cross or or crucifix necklaces. It's it's in their house, maybe a picture, drawing of Jesus. They, They understand all about who Jesus is. They know who Jesus is. They just don't know Jesus. Do you understand that? They're lost. And you begin to share the gospel and the truth with them. It becomes clearer and clearer that they just don't get it. They've been sold a bill of lies. They've been sold something that's not true. They don't understand. And it's kind of like you get so frustrated because you're going from English to Spanish, from Spanish to Sutuhil, which is the Mayan language. They answer in Sutuhil, which goes back to Spanish, which goes back to English. And the the struggle and the difficulty, my heart just breaks for these people because they have this incredible knowledge of Jesus. They know who he is. They just never accepted him as their Lord and Savior. I just wonder as I fly back now into America and back into this world and back into this culture. How many people in America are the same? They know all about Jesus. They just don't know Jesus. And so I I just want to challenge you with this truth. It's not about your knowledge of Jesus. That stuff matters and is important. But if you don't know Jesus, if you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if you've never repented of your sins, if you haven't given your life to him, then you're not a believer. And I just, I just worry that far, far, far too many people have fallen into this trap. And some of them may not even know that they're in the trap. It's about relationship. So about understanding what Christ calls us to do about his heart, about his will, about obedience to him, about living out his truths in your lives. Felix didn't get that. Felix was lost. So let's continue. Let's see what happens, right? So Felix, let's just jump back to verse 22 and walk through it again. Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, right? He got it. He understood who Jesus was. Put them off, saying, when Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, this is verse 24, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Jesus Christ. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed, right? There were some problems in his brain. And he said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. So the first pitfall is that we know all about Jesus and don't really know Jesus. That's the problem Felix had. Here's the second problem Felix had. We have as well. Truth number two. Procrastination keeps us from growing in our faith. Procrastination keeps us from growing in our faith. Now this this entire section, verses really 23, 24, 25, are really all about this man's inability to make a decision. So he's a Roman official. He's a Roman governor. He's got incredible power. He understands Christianity. He understands Paul. And he knows full well Paul has not broken any Roman laws. Nothing illegal that the Romans can hold against Paul. Yet at the same time, the Jewish people are concerned because Paul's going into their synagogues, teaching Christ. It's a different sort of a model. They're upset with him. So Felix is kind of in this middle ground between a rock and a hard place. He can't charge him with a Roman crime because Paul is Roman. He hasn't actually broken any laws. But at the same time, he needs to keep the Jewish people happy, keep them off his back a little bit. And so he kind of finds himself in this place where instead of doing the right thing, he basically doesn't do anything at all. And so he procrastinates. He puts it off. And so I want you to see 
this idea of procrastination in this text. Look at verse 22 again. I want you to notice several places here that demonstrate to this, this to us. Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, when Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. In other words, I'm not going to do it today, guys. I don't want to think about it today. I don't want to make a decision today. I'm going to put it off until later. Verse 24, pull 24 up. After some days, Felix came with his wife. So he's putting them off, right? So days lead into weeks, lead into months. We know that Paul was in jail during this period for at least two times because the scripture tells us. And then the end of verse 25, pull verse 25 up. He says to Paul, listen, when I get an opportunity, I will summon you. In other words, I'm not going to do it today, not going to make a decision today, not going to kind of decide which direction to go now. Instead, I'm going to decide later, I'm going to put this off until another time. It's kind of the idea of, you know, I'll put off today what I can do tomorrow. Now, we see Felix and we think, man, why would he do that? He's procrastinating. He's, he's just kind of wasting his time. But here's the question as we fast forward now into our world that I want you to answer. It's between you and the Lord. What would God have you, to do, what would God have you do today that you would rather put off until tomorrow? Because that's a challenge of the Christian faith, isn't it? Far too many of us don't reach the calling of Christ in our lives because we procrastinate. We say something like this. You know, I, I know I'm supposed to do a Bible study every day, and I really wanted to get up this morning and, and read the Bible and start the day off right, as many people try to do. But you know what? Today was just really busy for me. Had an early meeting. Didn't have time this morning to do that, and so I'm going to do it instead tonight. Night comes. Man, it's been a long day. I'm exhausted. I've got a lot of work tomorrow. I'm going to go to bed tonight. Instead, I'll get up in the morning and I'll do it, right? And by the way, there's, there's nothing wrong with sometimes doing that. I'm, I'm not preaching against Sometimes it's okay, I get it. It's, it's real world, and sometimes we have to move things around. But when that becomes a habit for us, right? We put off until the night, and then we put off into the morning, and then we end up two, three, four, five weeks, and we haven't any time with the word, haven't been praying. We begin to realize, you know, I'm just really procrastinating in my faith, and it's costing me. How, how about the procrastination of talking to the person that needs to hear the gospel? Right? And by the way, I'm going to tell you, you can get behind me in line because I've done this a bunch. Or we know there's that person. And maybe the Lord right now is giving you somebody in your mind. There's somebody you ought to talk to. You know they need to hear the gospel. You know that you ought to say something to them. You know you ought to have a conversation. You just kind of put it off. Well, I'm going to do it next Tuesday. I can't do it today. I'm not going to call them now. I'm going to call them tomorrow. And then the worst, and if you've ever done this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You muster up the courage to meet with the person to share the gospel, and then you get into the conversation and you procrastinate within the conversation telling them about Jesus. You ever done that? So how about this weather, man? It sure has been hot, hasn't it, right? Small talk, small talk, small talk until we get to the end and we're so nervous and we just don't even talk about it. I have people all the time that tell me, listen, I have conversations with a person. I just don't know how to kind of share the gospel. I don't know how to turn it to spiritual things. It's just procrastination, isn't it? Let me tell you what it really is. It's the enemy lying to you and tricking you about your faith. That's exactly what it is. The devil would like nothing more than for you to believe you've got more time. Spoke to a man this week in Guatemala, young man, a family member on deathbed. The, the story I've already told you. He's standing there, we're talk, talking to him, and as we're talking, we notice that he seems to be paying attention. And so I'm, I'm kind of honing in on this guy now. He's at least listening to me. He's at least tracking along with me. And I begin to ask him some very pointed questions. 
Do you understand? What do you think about Christ? Is this a decision you've ever made? Are you willing to make this decision? And he said to me, and he did exactly what Felix did. He said to me, listen, this is a really, really big decision for me. I need to think about it some more. That's what he told me. And I said, brother, that's between you and the Lord. I'll pray that you understand that truth very quickly because you may not have tomorrow. You just never know. The devil lies to us. He wants us to believe that we can wait until tomorrow. We understand that Felix procrastinates, but I want to contrast that because this is very interesting to me. I want to contrast the man that's not obedient to the Lord, not interested in the things of Christ with the man who is. Pull verse 24 up again, please. Felix procrastinates. He waits. He puts him off. We'll do it later. After some days, there it is again. Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul. And what did Paul do? spoke to them about faith in Jesus Christ. I just love that. It doesn't say Paul said, hey, thanks for coming. Maybe next week we can get to the gospel or maybe next time we can talk about Jesus. I think we have this tendency in faith discussions sometimes to want to build up and maybe it takes us weeks and months and maybe even years to build up to talking to somebody about Jesus. That's not what Paul does. Paul says, listen, I've got this incredible opportunity. I'm I'm meeting with this man. I'm going to share faith in Jesus Christ with him. And Paul does it with kind of three different Ways, three different things. Verse 25, pull verse 25 if you would for me. Look what he does. He talks to him about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. Right? Righteousness is just basically right living. It's doing the right thing, making right choices. The problem with righteousness is that we're not able to do it ourselves. Right? We, we can't be good enough. And if you've ever tried, you know this to be the case. We can't be good enough. We can't say enough right things. We can't be righteous in our own power. Instead, what we see scripturally is that when Christ died on the cross, he gave up his life for us so that his righteousness can cover our sins. We basically became righteous through Jesus. So 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him, this is God the Father made Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul says, listen, you can't live a righteous life on your own. You can't do this on your own, Felix. You can only find true righteousness through Jesus. And true righteousness leads to self-control. We need to be able to control what we do. We need to be able to control our actions. We do that through the power of Christ living within us. And then he talks to Felix about something I think a lot of Americans have kind of forgotten about. He talks to Felix about a coming judgment. Felix about a coming judgment. Now, now we think about judgment and we kind of take the rug and the broom and we kind of sweep it because we don't want to think about it, right? Like I don't really want to think that my actions are going to be accountable to the Lord. I don't really want to think that there's a day of judgment coming for me. I think most Americans fall into that trap. What Paul wants Felix to understand is, listen, there's a day of judgment coming for you. You're going to be held accountable for your actions. And unless you receive the righteousness of Christ and salvation through him, you're going to be punished for your sins. That's the teaching of Christ. And I just wonder, how many of, how, how many of us, how many Americans, how many people in the Western church have kind of forgotten that idea? We don't want to think about judgment. We don't want to think about God's justice. We only want to think about God's love and his beauty. And God is love and God is beautiful and peace and joy and hope. And all those things are true. They're right. But there's another side to that coin. Like If we don't trust him as our Lord and Savior, there is absolute justice. There's absolute judgment coming. Paul says, listen, you need to understand this. Don't fall into the trap of putting this off 
Don't fall in the trap of putting these decisions off, of putting your growth off. Procrastination leads us to a point of not growing in our faith. If we're not careful, if we're not, already, if we're not believers already, procrastination will lead us to the point of not ever accepting Jesus. Now, I want to kind of wind this thing down, these last two verses, because I want you to notice what Felix says here. It's very interesting, and it really applies to us today. Verse 26. At the same time, he hoped, this is Felix, hoped that money would be given him by Paul. Let me read that again because I want you to hear that. At the same time, so he's meeting with Paul, talking with Paul. He hopes that money would be given to him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. Right? I want to have conversations with Paul on a regular basis because I think Paul, I hope Paul's going to give me money. Verse 27. When the two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Right, so we've already seen the, the, the trap of procrastination, right, of, of putting things off. We've already seen the, the trap of knowing about Jesus but not knowing Jesus. Here's the third trap we fall into. Number three, failing to see what is really important keeps our focus off the things of the Lord. Failing to see what's really important keeps our focus off the things of the Lord. Verse 26 again, right? Festus continues, excuse me, Felix continues to meet with Paul because he hopes Paul will give him money. Now, why, why would Paul give this Roman governor money? Well, it was a bribe. He hoped, listen, if I continue to meet with Paul, Paul will offer money to me. He'll bribe me. I'll let him go. Very common practice in the Roman world. Very common thing that would happen. But I just, just take a step back, kind of the 30,000-foot view here. Here's this Roman governor that was meeting with Paul, who eventually wrote the majority of the New Testament, the most well-known, probably other than Jesus, of all the people in Scripture. He could have asked him any question he wanted to ask him. He could have learned anything about Jesus he wanted to learn. He could have repented of his sins and accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior. But instead of seeing the main thing and the important thing that Paul is offering, he was worried about money. Like, I just want to keep meeting with this guy, hoping he's going to give me a bribe. It's kind of like missing the big picture. Man, I look at our society today, and, and, and I look at my life, frankly, and other people's lives, and I just wonder, how often are we missing the big picture? Like, how often are we taking our eyes off the things of Christ and instead putting them on the things of the world? Like, what, what are we doing in our walk to keep our eyes focused on the thing of Jesus? We had the opportunity every day, as I shared with you just a few minutes ago, to share the gospel with these kids and we led up to Jesus at the end of the week, and we, we gave an invitation, and we had one little boy, Pablo, in our room. Pablo was... Fourth grade, fifth grade, young kid. And he was interested all week, and he was involved in talking. He'd follow us around on some of our evangelism visits and had listened very intently as we shared the gospel. And so at the end of the week, we gave this invitation. Listen, if any of you guys want to know more about Jesus, if you like to repent of your sins and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we said to them, hey, come down front in just a minute. We'd love to talk to you and love to tell you more about Jesus. And this, I mean, I'm not kidding. This one little boy in his desk He's doing like this. He's, he's almost jumping out of his seat. He's kind of giving me the, you know, pointing at me kind of deal. And we're like, great, come on, you know, come on. We'd love to talk to you. He comes down, and through the translator, we're talking to him, asking him questions, wanting to know a little bit more about him. And he asked, he said, I've just got one question. Why would Jesus do this for me? I thought, that is the question, isn't it? Because he loves you. Because he desired to give his life for yours. That's the main thing. He understood the main thing. He understood the hope of the gospel in Jesus Christ when so many of us don't. 
I just thought, you know, if, if we could just focus our eyes and our heart on Christ, on who Christ is, on what Christ does, if we could not fall into the trap of seeing other things as more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we could do that, God would use us for the sake of his kingdom. He would do incredible things through us. He would take ordinary people and through the power of the Spirit do extraordinary things through us. I don't want to live an ordinary life for Jesus. I want to be different. I want to be extraordinary for the sake of the gospel, and I want you to be that as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. It's very clear. It's very understandable. Where we see the traps that Felix fell into, Father, the not really knowing Christ, no relationship with him, the, the idea of putting things off and procrastination, the idea of, of taking his eyes off what really matters and being focused on things that don't. Father, allow all those things to confront us and convict us in our lives. Lord, we're all guilty of all those things on some level, Father. Just allow us, first of all, to see those struggles, to see those failures. Father, repent of those sins when necessary. And Lord, allow us just to, to walk the path of righteousness, to walk the path of self-control, to understand that it's only through the blood of Christ that we can be removed from the final judgment, Father, and we can spend eternity with you in heaven. Father, allow those thoughts to resonate in our hearts and our minds and then send us out into the world, Father, as ambassadors to share the gospel with all those that may hear. Give us the courage and the strength to say the things that need to be said. And Father, in everything that you accomplish through us, we'll praise your name. We'll give you the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.